passage today and look at a few of the scenes. So in the first part of our passage, we're told that the king came to power he did not know Joseph. That word is very important. Uh, for a refresher, for anyone who doesn't know the story or not familiar with that in a while, uh, Joseph was one of the twelve sons of Jacob, as known as Israel. His brothers, he had eleven brothers, you can believe it, and they couldn't stand that Joseph was loved by their father. Favorite. Must be nice, right? So they got so mad they hated it. They couldn't stand it. So what they did was they sold Joseph into slavery to the Egyptians. Nuts. So Joseph's in Egypt. He's in prison for a while. He interprets some dreams. Pharaoh loves him, and he puts him in charge. There's this famine that's coming. Joseph interprets a dream to So we have to be here. Go ahead, load up on the food. Let's build storage cities. Like we have storage cities here. Let's do that. That's going to really be a good thing. I think God is trying to do that. So Pharaoh listens and he does this. So, famine comes seven years ago. A long, long, long time. But, because Joseph's foresight, because God speaking through Joseph, Egypt is saved from the famine. They're so well stocked that other countries come to Egypt to buy the grain from them. There's a lot of money being made, everyone else is starving. But because of Joseph, because of his faith in God, he took the community. So, Egypt became powerful and wealthy. They're like the big, the superpower of the ancient empires. They're, they're the country. But, all this time has passed. We don't know how many generations, how many years from like Joseph getting to Egypt to this first part, where there's a new king coming to power. It says that he didn't know Joseph. Which to me is nuts. Like, can you imagine this guy saved your economy? He made you the power you are today. How could you forget someone like that? We know, like, figures like Paul Revere who say, like, a sentence. And then we got He's there. So, like, someone like Joseph feels like it's pretty hard to forget. I wonder if there's a different way into this scripture with the word no. So, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Suggested the Hebrew word that's translated as no in passages like this. The quote is that they often, though not always, denote an act involving concern, inner engagement, dedication, or attachment to a person. It could also mean to have sympathy, belief, or affection for someone. Casual says that it might be more accurate here to say that Pharaoh did not care for Joseph. Nobody didn't know him, but he didn't care for him. Um, but he might have disliked him. The NIV is the CEV translation. The NIV even has it saying that Joseph both meant nothing to Pharaoh. I think that speaks really, really, really there. So, what does an uncaring Pharaoh do? What does someone who doesn't care for these people do? Well, because of the immense size of the human population, he's afraid, he fears that one day that they will join with Egypt's enemies in war and escape from the land. So what does Pharaoh do? He decides to put them in the forest for things. Maybe distract them with work, with them organizing all the things. This is what happens when we're told not to care for entire groups of people. They're othered, they're called outsiders. We're told to fear them, but their population is growing too big and too fast. We might soon be outnumbered by them, we're swimming in believing that the outsider populations, if they're allowed to live here or 
exist at all. In the truly beautiful it says here. So this is a and I, I feel like I witnessed this day in and day out. That really, um, it was a challenging kind of thing to just exist in right? um, So arriving refugees often originated from countries that we are told to fear: Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and finding folks a place to live, they're often put in kind of the only places that will take them. Usually apartment complexes. Um, they, maybe, they, maybe they know that we'll leave the organization they're going to take back. They're few and far between, unfortunately. So they're often placed in these apartment complexes tucked away in really under-resourced areas of Durham. Um, parts of Durham that when I was going to like, drop groceries off, I kept gunshots. Like pretty rough, rough neighborhoods. Um, I can't imagine being new to this country, like having to start and clean stuff like this, and that's kind of the way that I'm allowed to existing. These areas are tucked away, they're off main roads, but you can't see them. I don't even know they existed before Wolverine, which is my own, like, shame of that. They're dangerous, they're dilapidated, and they're well away from, like, Durham downtown, gentrification industry, like, out of sight, out of mind. Um, so these, these folks, when they get here, part of the job that we'll to is we want to get you a job. That's a big deal. We come here, we're going to give you a place to stay, and we're going to get you a job to get you back on your feet. A lot of these folks, or some of these folks, are well, like, more educated than I am, more experienced, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're dentists, they're all those great big things that I can't even comprehend. But in the United States, some of the community this, I didn't know this. Um, that work experience is considered something that's, it might as well have never happened because it didn't happen in the United States. So when we're trying to give them jobs, man, it's a challenge. I want to get you a doctor job. I want you, I want you in a new hospital, like leading the charge. But for the most part, these people who are, like I said, well educated, well degree, well experienced. They can only find work typically as dishwasher with fast food restaurants. Maybe in factory work, punishing schedule, like 70 hour shifts, minimum wage, and that's what you do. And those factory work go away off the road, out of sight, and out of mind. So, these examples can illustrate the consequences of what can happen when societies like ours elevate the known, the dominant culture, at the expense of the country. So where is the good news here? How can we even begin to swim against the societal current that allows us human beings, made in the image of God, to be intentionally set out of sight, bothered, and So let's go back to scripture and see what happens next. All right, so Pharaoh has now put them into work camps, figuring that'll crush their spirit. Well, the Hebrew people are thriving. They're still growing in number. Man, Pharaoh hates that. He can't stand it. He's scared of it. There's, they're growing so much that the Egyptian people themselves now The Egyptians are afraid. So what do they do? They enslave the Israelites. That's what they do. That's their response to this thing. They respond to growth and positivity with fear and hatred. So up to this point in scripture, each instance of Hebrew growth has been matched by oppression for oppression. Joseph comes to Egypt to see Ruth grow. The new king, Pharaoh, sees this working. 
Well, that's not working. So what's going to put, we're going to put them into, we're going to, we're going to now we're going to slate them. That's going to, that's going to, that's going to crush those spirit. Scripture doesn't say this, that between these two paragraphs, there's no positivity, there's no benefits of slavery, there's nothing like that. What happens is, we can assume maybe the numbers get growing, something bad must have happened, because now the king is speaking to the midwives, saying, all right, y'all, you guys are going to be good. Help me out. I want you to kill the baby kids. That'll really slow the Hebrews down. Don't kill the women. That's going to be fine. Maybe Pharaoh didn't think that the women were strong enough. Maybe they, they didn't think they would be able to rise up against them. Maybe he believed that it would be easier to make the Hebrew people do so. Whatever the reason, he doesn't seem threatened by the women as much as the women. And this may or may not come back to harm So, despite Pharaoh's demands, the midwives set here to the respected God do not comply. And a great example with Martin Luther King here, non-violent direct action, the midwives let the baby boy survive and give Pharaoh reasonable long ones. Let's see. Jess, would you mind going to the next slide? We see, because Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women, they're much stronger to give birth before any midwives can get to them. It's like, oh, whoa, that's crazy. My people survived. That's nuts. They're, they just must be super strong. Those wily Hebrews. Oh, my goodness. Well, something bad must be coming if this is the success that's happening. God's blessing people. That's not a good sign for Pharaoh. So, no longer trusting the Hebrew midwives to carry out the infanticide, Pharaoh now orders all his people, he says all of his people, to throw every newly born Hebrew baby boy. Well, once again, don't fret the girls Can you imagine the kind of propaganda that must have been put out to convince the entire, the entire Egyptian people to go through with this? How an entire society might be able to turn on a group of people that fast just because the leaders in power are told that people are Enter baby Moses, little baby Moses. Moses' mother, Yoshebeth, in the spirit of the Hebrew midwives before her, disobeys Pharaoh orders too. She doesn't do the king. She's not the to do the good. She goes against what, what this prevailing culture is here. That's what this great author John talks about. She has Moses away until he's perhaps too big to be hidden any longer. And in a suddenly subversive, if not terribly devastating, conflict to God, Yoshebeth decides to send Moses away in the very same river. That Pharaoh commanded people to drown the Hebrews. Acting through faith in God and not society is a subversive problem. Throwing the same baby in the river that we're told drowned the babies. And this is the little seed, this mustard seed of faith that's going to blossom a little bit later. So the basket, the whole Noah's Ark, is carried across the water in the reeds and a foreshadowing of Hebrew people passing through the divided waters. So imagine the fear that Miriam, Moses' sister, but the same here, but that's her name. Imagine the fear she must have felt when she watched that little basket carrying her brother float down the Nile and right into Pharaoh's palace. The fear she must have felt when none of the Pharaoh's daughter was willing to put the children under the water. But we see in this encounter the power of proximity in the stone fear. Pharaoh's daughter opens the basket. He sees a little crying baby boy. 
Чудесами за смысл Instead of feeling deep for fear, like you would expect fear of daughter to fear, to feel, she feels sorry for the baby. She feels compassion. So this is not how I'd expect a daughter to feel. Once again, in his book, Subversive Witness, Ami recommends it. He says that Pharaoh's daughter was full of time to carry on the family tradition of the But her proximity to the supposed enemy evokes compassion instead. So Miriam, once again, must have been terrified. Now that she sees Pharaoh's daughter acting with compassion, Miriam goes to the Egyptians, the kind of hatred that must have existed between the people of fear. So Miriam, she's not afraid, so she pops up out of the water and asks the Pharaoh's daughter, hey, maybe I can go find a Hebrew woman to raise this baby for you. You're still this. Let me take care of Pharaoh's daughter says, do that. This is great. What does she do? She goes and gets, she goes, Pharaoh's daughter goes and gets Moses' mother to raise the baby. Right. Subversive. Full circle. Not only that, Pharaoh's daughter is going to pay Moshe to raise baby Moses. Later on, there's a thing about God commanding the Hebrews to like, I want you to go to your neighbors and ask for the silver and the gold. They're going to give this one, unless you are plundering the Egyptians. Like, this is plunder, y'all, but the money that's going to Moses' mother to raise the baby, she sent away, full circle. So, it's those little seeds of subversive faith that blossom into blindness, the kind we expect to see in the kingdom of God. Pharaoh was worried about the Hebrews. Well, guess what? Thanks to the subversive, the subversive faith of women, the very women Pharaoh wasn't worried about, the women who went against the culture of fear, unwilling to be unknown, whether by themselves or by others, it's because of their faith, the women's faith, that Moses, the Hebrew prophet and liberator, is allowed to grow from Jesus' kingdom. If we want to see God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, I believe we all do. We must shed our society and bring fear in the public, be intentionally and often left unknown, and draw close to those whose culture tells us there's no room. There's a lot more room. There's just no room. There's no room here. There's so much room. The image of God is in each of us, every one of us. It's not found more in some than in others. Once again, my guy, Dominic Gilead, sums it up best. He says, Our Creator never intended for the divine image to be affirmed, respected, and protected in some, more than others, because of person race, ethnicity, gender, class, citizenship status, land of origin, sexuality, mental cognition, able-bodiedness, or if it's physical attractiveness. Love that. Love that idea. Y'all, we all have a share of God's image in us. We're created in them. And that's the good news. That's the good news, folks. The first few paragraphs of Exodus, they show us that God will not be hindered or obstructed by systems and fear, directed by leaders and by societal complicity. We see this some that best in the life of Jesus. God's ultimate act of drawing him. Jesus defied the expectations of everyone, including his own followers, and sought out proximity with the least of these. He came to know them, and he came to know us. This is worth celebrating, and it's worth communicating.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of being born with you. Even when we're not, we are alone, others, and unknown by the other animals. We rest in the comfort of your abiding love and continual presence. Bless us with the wisdom to see those in the neighborhood who often go in place, and fill us with the guidance of the Spirit to draw close to them. With love, 